You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. Welcome back to another Western Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krebs, and this show is brought to you by Go Hunt. Today, I have Brooke Danier on the phone call. Hopefully, I got that right. I just learned how to pronounce your last name, and I don't want to butcher it. So... But, Brooke, how are you doing today? You're traveling back from Wisconsin to Michigan. Um, so yeah. is your home base in Michigan, or is your home base in Idaho? I, well, I grew up in Wisconsin. My home base is in Idaho, but um, I kind of came home for the holidays visiting some friends. My boyfriend actually lives in Michigan, so that's kind of why I'm here for Christmas with his family. So. Oh, awesome. So you're doing all kinds of traveling. Um, and you said you just wrapped up with another outfitting season. So were you guiding in Wisconsin too, or just wrapped up in Idaho? I was just wrapping up in Idaho. Perfect. Awesome. So any, any like crazy events happen this year? Or was it a pretty low key year? Like things go as planned? Um, 
I mean, I killed my first archery bull elk. Like my, I didn't kill it myself, but it was my first guided kill with archery. Oh, cool. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's got to feel, I mean, I, that's got to feel like almost the same as shooting it yourself because when you're, when you're the caller on an archery setup, like you're doing 95% of the work. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it was a huge accomplishment. I've been trying to do it for three or four years now and finally all came together and the hard work pays off in the end, really. It's it's really rewarding when you put that much work and effort in. So yeah, it's one of the bigger events. And my one of my issues is um, just like knowing when I'm calling for someone else, there's so much more pressure to me than if I'm the shooter. Like when my brother calls, I'm like, all right, my job is to like sit here, be quiet, be still, find the elk, get a shot. Like right. it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. When I'm calling for him, I'm like, I don't know what he wants me to do. Like, should I, should we like get more intense? Should we get more aggressive? Should we back off? Should I try to like call myself out of the situation and try to bring that bull in? Or should we move towards him? You know, and you can like listen to the elk and kind of see what they're saying. But a lot of times in general units and like highly pressured areas, they're not super vocal. It seems like they don't just give you everything. <laughs> right. Right. So. Yeah. And the conditions I had that week were like, we got lucky, honestly, because it was like 30 mile an hour winds and we're in a deadfall. So trees are falling left and right. Every whistle that comes through the tree sounds like a bugle. So it gets really frustrating. We got that time frame about four, five hours where there was no wind and finally got it done. So that's crazy. We almost had a tree fall on one of our people this year. He was napping under a tree for like an hour and he woke up and he looked and he's like, that tree looks dead. Uh I'm going to move. And like 10 minutes later, it fell down. That's crazy. Yeah. No, we're in all deadfall basically. So like that's, that's what kind of what we have to watch for. And we're also hiking over all the deadfall too. So it makes it challenging. Yeah. That's the worst. Um, I think hiking through deadfall is my least favorite part of all of elk hunting. Like if you could pick one thing to get rid of, I would pick no more deadfall. Yeah. Yeah. That brush. Brush doesn't even bother me as much as the deadfall does because you just can't make progress. Like, yeah. Like if you're trying to, we had it one time where we had a bull bugle at like 300, and then we he bugled again at 150. So we thought we had tons of time, like perfect 300 yards, like we have enough time to like figure out a setup. And then he had bugled at 150 like 10 seconds later, so he was like on the move. And oh, so yeah. we we're like, oh, we need to go up fast for the thermals. And so we take off running and we hit deadfall in like four steps and both tripped. And then the bull was there. And so it just, it's like, you oh, can't no. move. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been in that situation also myself, but do you, you do? have you ever seen like, like deadfall where it's 100% deadfall? It almost looks like, like a flood of timber and like the whole mountain is just open. Like there's no tree standing at all. It looks like a lake of trees. Yeah. That happened. That actually happened to me when I got to the bottom of where we go hunting. I had no idea I was at the bottom and it was a rock slide of trees. It was crazy, but we found our way out and obviously down, but it was definitely a pain in the butt. We did that once kind of in Idaho, the closest we've ever hunted to Idaho and the trees were so big and they were like stacked over each other's like sometimes three or four high that we just yeah. jumped up on the trees and just started running like trees down. And then we'd like get to a cross and jump onto the next one and go that, you know, like zigzag our way across. We just ran across the top of the trees because they were like eight feet over the ground. Like, I don't yeah. know what happened. It was, it must have been a tornado or something. 
Yeah, no, that's that's kind of what I do now. Where we're at is just jump trees. <laughs> yeah, are you uh, the right height to go under them too? Like the paint, like the ones that are like half and half. Like I'm tall, so I usually go over them. But sometimes it's like really a pain in the butt if they're like at my chest. I normally try and go over them because my pack is too bulky on me, but <laughs> I can fit underneath them most of the time. Okay. I'm only five foot four, so it works. Okay, perfect. Yeah, that's my wife is the same height as you, and I think we're gonna find we have we're gonna have to like pick a speed to walk because my brother's like five ten, and even he'll notice it. Like my stride is so much bigger than his that like if we get snow or going over deadfall, like I can go a lot faster through that than he can. And so I'm going to, I'm guessing my wife's going to be like, will you slow down? Like I have to, oh, yeah. I have to jump up on these logs and climb over them and you just step over them in stride. <laughs> so yeah, we're doing our first Western hunt next year, but um, it's just antelope. So hopefully we don't have any deadfall to cross. Nice. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. So what species do you guys guide for? I'm assuming elk and mule deer are probably the prime, like the primary uh, two. Elk, mule deer, and bear. Oh, Black bear. In the spring bear or fall bear? Uh, we do both. I used to guide in the spring bear and then help out in the fall, but fall is really busy for between horses and packing into camps with elk season and whatnot. So, Yeah, well, that's a perfect transition because I really wanted to talk hunting with horses. So this show is pretty much, I would say it's a majority of Midwestern hunters, probably whitetail hunters that go out west, like DIY, I would imagine, but obviously – you know, hunting with a guide, I think it would, if I could afford it every year, I think it would be a lot of fun. Like, it's nice to do things on your own, but I'm not opposed to, like, going with people that know what they're doing as well. And so that's always been an interest of me is, like, a horse trip. I don't know what the proper term for it is, but going in on a team of horses to a dedicated camp and then, like, getting up every morning, getting on a horse and hunting, you know, out of camp even further in. Then, right, right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just curious, like, from the beginning, like, what does it take to set up a camp of that scale? Like, I know my dad's done a hunt where he said, like, they left the trailhead with, like, 40 horses. Yeah, see, okay, so the, the company that I work for, Hell's Canyon Outfitters, based out of Riggins, um, we have about 75 horses, horses, not all our horses, we have mules, a lot of them are mules, we have, like, maybe eight horses, but basically we'll take our camp so the camp that i'm in um we have four camps a tack tent a guide tent cook tent and your client tent and the cook and client tent is combined but it takes about 12 mules to get everything in and then three or four people will stay overnight and set it up and then come out the next day um and we'll pack all of our hay in prior to that so a lot of the work comes between pre-season so a week before opening day and then you'll have your packers that are bringing in hay and supplies for your guides that need everything throughout the season um we'll the guides will kill an elk and we'll hang the meat in camp and we'll call our boss be like hey um we need somebody to come in we have the meat at camp it's, it's got to get out it's kind of hot it's sometimes in the beginning of the season it's 75 80 degrees up there right. so it can be challenging um so that's where the horses come in um we'll take the horses from our base camp out to a certain area bugle and we'll tie our horses up to a certain spot and hike down to wherever we think we can get um because our camp is 12 miles in so wow you can you can go 
out six miles and you can get on that horse and save yourself some of that work so you can go in that steep country. And a lot of it is deadfall. Um, the guides and I, when we work together, we started out doing miles and now we kind of say that we crossed about 800 trees today instead of four miles or whatnot. <laughs> but so it became yeah. a, a little jumping theme of hiking really. Yeah. So are, do you, you said you use a lot, like a majority are actually mules, not horses. Correct. Is that yep. because they're more sure-footed? Yeah. Okay. There's just, I mean, it, I guess it's a, everybody has their own perspective and preference on horses and mules. I like mules, and it's probably because that's what I started out on. Um, but I think they're more trustworthy. Okay. And they remember a lot. So I could come back in 10 years from now, and they'd be like, hey, that's that girl that rode me in 2019 or whatnot. And they would remember you. Well, that's pretty cool. And yep. so – when you said you have four camps, like you have four camps and each camp has four tents or does, did you mean this like camp has no, so four we, different tents? Sorry. I'm, I messed it up. We only have, so elk season, we have two backcountry camps okay. and our archery camp has four tents and then we'll cross over into the rifle season. And then the other camp will have three tents. Oh, okay. That makes yeah. sense. So how much do you have to bring in? to support the horses like obviously you got to be close to water that's huge but the because horses like are different than for like llamas a lot of people are really getting into llamas and and um alpacas because they can um they do better on foraging especially if there's good grass or good feed on the mountain um they don't require to bring in as much but for a horse i mean obviously they'll probably eat some grass but right it's not going to be enough right right so where we're at, it's like a, a burn, really. It gets so hot in that canyon that it just burns all the grass off, and it's just yellow. Mm, so when we get so up there, nothing. they'll kind of graze on their way in, but we'll give them hay. We'll, we'll pack in hay, um, probably 80 to 90 bales for that entire season, and it all just depends on how many hunters we have. So we'll, one week we could have four hunters in, and another week we could have four hunters and three non-hunters in there. So that's seven horses right there, plus all your guide horses. So it's right. kind of every year is different based on the amount of guides, the people that are in there, your cook. And you got to go off of each day too. So if we if we tag out early, we will have extra hay in there. But it really just depends on how many people are in there and who's willing to ride out and who's not riding out. But we'll take cob in there too, so that's like a molasses and corn mixture, just to kind of help stabilize their weight and a little treat for them too. Right. So, yeah, that's got to be a lot more dense than right. Like, yeah. So eighty to ninety bales. I'm assuming like these are small squares, so they're correct. Yep. Depends how dry they are, but like sixty pounds on average. Yeah, sixty-five, seventy. Okay, so could a Depends. horse pack four bales? Or like, how do you, you get them in there? So that's why I'm starting to figure this out. Like, it seems like it's a lot of logistics. Right. It, and it is. So, I mean, if you wanted to, you could. A lot of people don't prefer to do that because it's it's stressful on the horse and mule itself. Right. So each side of the pack saddle has to have Even. the same amount of weight on yeah. each side. Or so you're going to roll that saddle and cause a wreck. So it's only, it's either two or four. Like, those are your options? Not really. No, you can go by weight. So... 
we only do two, so one on each side. Right. Oh, okay. So if you wanted to take 16 bales, you need eight horses. Yeah, so for, I mean, 90 bales, you need 45 trips with a horse. Like, whether you do that, you know, fives or ten. I mean, obviously, you're not doing it with one horse. but So that's like somebody's job for like a week is just going back and forth with hay bales. Yep, and we we normally try before we get in there with all the clients. We're like our team together, the clients, or not the clients, excuse me, the guides and the packers and everybody that we work with kind of get together like, okay, here we go. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get camping. We need 12 meals. Here's what we're going to take. And three people are going to stand. The people that come out are going to manny those bales up, and we're going to go in the next day, and they're going to come out. Okay. So it's kind of. Sometimes when I'm planning my applications or my point strategy, I want to see what the latest overview for a state and a species is and where I stand with the number of points I have. The easiest way to get the overview of a state and a species current status is with the application strategy articles in the Go Hunt Insider Service. The team at Go Hunt puts together the application strategy articles each year for application season, and it has the latest update for that animal, the conditions in the unit, such as drought or snowfall levels, changes to the state, and details about what you can expect with the different ranges of points you might have. I use these articles for both my current season applications and when I'm looking at those options for a 10 to 15-year draw tag in a special unit. The application strategy articles are a great place to start when you are planning your fall and deciding which states and animals to apply for. Head over to GoHunt.com and check out the application strategy articles and all the tools you get with your Insider membership, and you'll see why I love GoHunt Insider so much. It's the best collection of information on Western hunting available, and it's all in one place. And when you sign up using the code WESTERN, you'll get $50 of free credit in the gear shop. Not only is Go Hunt giving you all the information you need to plan a successful hunt, but they are also giving you $50 towards a new piece of gear for that hunt. So head over to GoHunt.com, get signed up, and you'll be kicking yourself you didn't have the insider service sooner. Even increments. We try and get at least half of them in there before the season starts. Yeah, because you're going to come out and pick up new clients, drop clients off. Like, if there's ever a spare horse, you could bring in some more. Right. Yep. Yeah. I'm an engineer, so I'm always like, man, it seems like, you know, (laughs) I'm always trying to find better ways to do things than the people that have been doing it their entire life. And obviously, usually you don't, right? The people that do it have it figured out. But I'm like, man, I wonder how easy it would be with a helicopter to just come in and drop a bunch of bales. But I'm like, yeah, it'd be really easy after a million dollars for a helicopter or whatever it costs. Yeah, and Idaho doesn't let you use anything, like, mechanical for hunting reasons or their rules in Idaho. Really? I forget what they call it. Yeah, so, you like, people that hunt with GoPros mounted on their bows, it's illegal. You can't use um, mechanical broadheads, all stuff like that. Red dots are illegal for certain animals, like big game, like elk and bear. Right. I'm not sure if they're legal or not in, like, using wolves. For hunting wolves and like predators, Ooh, I'm not really yeah. sure. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I know you can use like optics with rifles. Like, I don't. Right. It seems like a mechanical broadhead versus like a 25 power scope. Like, one of them right. gives you a much more, you know, better chance than the other. I'm just saying. Right. I mean, I don't yeah. hunt mechanicals anyway for elk, but yeah, that's a good point. So yeah, everything's yep. the old fashioned way, which is probably good. I mean, at the end of the day, that's probably good. 
Yeah, it makes it interesting. Yeah, sometimes you're probably like, man, this is kind of silly. Like, I wish I could have a lighted knock so I could see where my impact is. Right. But, yeah, at the end of the day, it's probably the best to, like, keep Idaho the way it is, really. And right. And not turn That's into some of these other do. states. <laughs> wow. So... Did you grow up around horses and mules and like that's what gravitated towards this career or like where was the beginning where you're like, I want to be an outfitter? Uh, when I was 14 and went on my first elk hunt with my dad, uh, I never grew up by horses or anything. I just, I grew up hunting all the time with my brother and my dad. They're the ones that really taught me everything that I know between hunting. And then I kind of went on this hunt and I said, this is what I want to do. And my dad's like, you know, it's not just killing stuff you gotta cook clean pack everything in and out you gotta process and I was kind of like okay that's a lot of work like I, really <laughs> that. But I was 14 so and I I just when I got in high school I started applying for jobs out west because I grew up on a farm with cattle and everything and uh kind of want to do the ranching type thing but I didn't have any horse experience so out of like the 200 ranches that I applied for they all said no so I started applying for criminal justice and my dad found out that I was going to go to college to be a cop and told me no and started searching online for me to learn about horses and sent me to a horse camp after I looked into it, learned how to basically call and recognize um, tracks and everything, learned how to ride a horse, saddle a horse, all the basics. Okay. Um, got my wilderness first aid and that's really where it all started. Wow, that's a that's a story. So he just was yeah. not about the police officer life. Nope. I graduated high school in 2019, so I was 18, and that was when the whole protesting Riots, George yeah. Floyd thing was going on, and it was just – and nowadays everybody says law enforcement is risky, so they don't recommend it. They love it, but they're trying to get out of it too. Well, I think so. – yeah, and a huge part of it's where you're at. I mean – right. Like for you, if you were a law enforcement agent out, you know, near Riggins or wherever you are in Idaho, like that's very different than if you were like in Chicago or like Minneapolis now would be a disaster. That's just right. in my backyard. So I think that's a huge part of it too, but it's hard. Yeah. I mean, that's another life that takes a lot. Yeah. With so. a lot less, it's certainly less excitement when guns start going off than what you do now. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Big difference. <laughs> yeah, big difference. Um, okay, well, that's kind of funny you said that because we met the last time we were archery hunting in Montana. We met this cowboy, and he was a hired hand of the ranch, and he was just summering in our, I don't know, canyon. You know, so he just stayed up there four days a week and watched the cows and doctored anything that needed it, and, and then he'd go home for like two, three days you know, get more food and then go back up in. And it was like three hours to get in there. So it was, you know, a long ways. But yeah. he started out, he went to Rhodes University for finance, got a finance job, hated it, started bartending instead. And he's like, well, this is like, is this life? Like who wants to, you know, be a bartender for 40 years? Right. So he's like, I want to be a cowboy. So he sold everything, bought a truck and four horses and went out West and, I don't know how he got, he got a job in Colorado. He must've, I think the story is he knew how to ride. Like his mom signed him up for lessons as a kid and stuff. And he stuck with it. So like he knew how to ride a horse, but that was the extent of his cowboying. And so huh. some ranch gave him a job, maybe they're short. And then he was, you know, moved to this Montana ranch, but he was young too. Like he was, I mean, probably a little older than you, but he'd been doing it like three seasons and you know, it was pretty evident. He was still learning. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. You're learning every single day. 
he would show up. There's wow. like this one great spot to glass, and so we'd glass if we ever got back with daylight just to see where the elk were. And the day they pushed the cattle out, he was he's telling him about it the night before, like, hey, we're going to push cattle. There's a bunch of cowboys coming in. You know, I'm really hopeful we'll get it on the first try. But, you know, usually you have to re-ride all week and get the, you know, strays or the ones that, you know, you didn't get the first pass. So he gets back that night, and we're glassing already. And we're like, well, we were all like, he didn't get them on the first try because there's like six over there and 12 over there and five over there. And, you know, because we got spotting scopes where we're looking for elk, so it's easy to find all these cattle. And he comes up, he's like, I think we got them all. And we're like, uh, well, we found like 30. He's like, oh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's a character. But it's a, like, I was just, I'm always interested when people make like, I don't know, to me it seems like a like a super crazy choice. Like, I'm going to go from finance yeah. to cowboying or from yeah. police officer to outfitter, you know? Yeah. So, I assume you like the, yeah. the way it worked out. I enjoy it. I mean, it was something I always wanted to do. I never really wanted to go to college. I said that when I was, I don't know, in the eighth grade too. Cause I mean, what 18 year old really knows what they're going to want to do. And I didn't want to waste my money for something that I maybe will do and yeah, then go guide and not make the money to pay it off. So, right. Yeah. You could have went to criminal justice school and still end up as a outfitter or a guide. So <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, one of the questions that I I feel like you might get, and I don't want to offend you, but when people find out that their guide is a younger girl, did they ever get weird? Yeah, I've had a few. I've like, had a few. But... Oh, you're the guide? Like, where's the... Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which isn't right. I mean, there's people that, you know, could be 14-year-old girls in Idaho that know more about hunting than, you know, Jim yeah. Zumbo or, or um, you know, anyone, like. There's, it doesn't really matter who you are, you know, what your age is. I'm just, I'm picturing like when someone books an elk guide, they might have an idea in their mind and then they show up and they're like, oh, and I'm just wondering like, is it ever like super awkward or people just get over it as soon as you're like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Like this is, um, some people, yeah, I've had a few like that, but I've also learned to kind of brush it off. And if they can't respect me, then we're just going to go for a really long hike until you do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a good method. I've had I had a client like that this year, and he was just saying how he didn't want to be with uh, a certain person because he couldn't walk, or this person because he was really young, and then going to my boss because I didn't know what I was doing. It's just like, okay, well then we're gonna go for a hike, and we may see a bull, and you're gonna like they said they wanted to go on a hike, but I'm like, listen, there's a really nice bull down here. Like, why do we have to leave a bull to go find another one? Oh yeah. So I'm like. Okay, if you don't want it, then you don't deserve it. We're just going to – we're going to go for a nice hike until you can figure out how to respect everybody else that works here because, I mean, if you went on a guided hunt, you can't really tell your guide what you want to do. We're open for suggestions and whatnot, but in the end, I think everybody that I work with at that outfit has been there since 2019, so we know the country, and we're very confident, and we all work together really well. So if we have questions, we come together and right. um, basically – ask what they want to do and then we're going to be like okay we'll put it together and this is where we're going to go right well and i feel like the time to be picky about what kind of hunt you want is when you're looking at guides like if you want like for someone that wants to hike a lot like why'd you book a guide that uses horses 
Right. Right. Like yeah. there's a lot of guides out there. Like there's probably a guide for every style of hunting. And I feel like that's when you can be picky. But like right. when I book a guide, if well, not when I've never done it, but if I picked a guided hunt, it'd either be like, because it allowed me to hunt a tag I wouldn't otherwise be able to get like a landowner tag or, you know, some type of outfitter tag. Mm-hmm. And I want like, I want this tag. It's a really good hunt you know, in the only, or like Canada, perfect example. Like if you want to hunt Canada, you have to use a guide. So that's right. the one thing. And then, you know, in every situation it would be like, well, I also want to hunt with people that know the area. They know the animals. They like, they know more about this than I do. Like that's right. why you have a guide. So I wouldn't be like, oh, this is how you elk hunt. It's like, well, I'm here to yeah. learn from you how you guys elk hunt this area. Right. Maybe I elk hunt different where I've other hunted other places, but that doesn't really apply. Like I can't bring my North Dakota elk hunting experience to Idaho because it's, right. you know, completely yeah. different landscape. Yep. And yeah. And I know everything, but I don't, I'm always listening. Like I've had clients, my very first. This episode is brought to you by steelhead outdoors. Now, Everyone knows that Steelhead Outdoor Safes are the only American-made, fire-insulated, modular safes on the market. But you might not know that Steelhead Outdoors also carries a full line of handgun lockers, pistol boxes, and even custom vault doors. So whether you're looking for a locker to store your concealed carry when you walk in the front door, or a pistol box to mount underneath your nightstand, or even if you're looking to secure an entire doorway in your home and create a safe room, Steelhead Outdoors has a solution for you. You can tell the guys over at Steelhead are gun owners because they have the gun owner in mind when they design their products. Their handgun lockers are just the right size to store modern-day handguns with lasers, optics, double-stack magazines, and even a backup gun, while their pistol boxes are the perfect size to mount underneath your bed, your nightstand, or even in your vehicle. And when it comes to a custom vault door, they have designed a panic lock and emergency release so you can easily lock and unlock your vault door completely from the inside, meaning you are always safe but never trapped inside. Go to SteelheadOutdoors.com to check out all of their security options and pick the right one for you. Bull that I ever killed, uh, the guy was hunting with me because he wanted to go in the area didn't know the area and i was like okay well do you guys like hiking they're like yeah we prefer to if we kill a bull just hike it out not use horses and i was like okay because i really enjoy hiking i actually would rather hike than take horses because i just worry about them running away the one time i did take horses my horse bit its lead rope off and ran back to camp so i had to walk back anyway so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was just a nuisance to me but i love them they they help a lot um I guess I just, I can't just not take advice from other people when my clients come in and they have a good idea. I'm like, oh, that's, I never thought of that. We should try that. And like, I'm willing to listen and learn still, but I also don't appreciate when others are disrespectful to everybody else when we're the guides. Yeah. And if it's anything like I've observed in like almost every other aspect of life, like the people that have the loudest criticism are usually not in front of you on whatever path you're on. Like I would imagine like for you, the people that are like 
stone cold killers. Like they've shot a hundred bulls. They know they've done DIY their entire life and maybe mixing yeah. a couple guides. Like they show up to camp to have a fun time. Like they probably don't tell you what to do or how to do things. Like they're just, right. you know, they might say, Hey, well, you know, what about this? But like everyone that's ever been in front of me on a journey has always like been a lot more respectful than the, like all the criticism I get from anything is always from the rear view mirror. Oh, hundred percent. Me too. Right. Like the people that would maybe show up to camp, like telling you how to do your job. It's like maybe their first elk hunt for a stereotype. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. I get it a lot, but I'm, I think I grew out of it and I know how to handle it myself. And if I can't do it, then I just go to my boss and he handles it. Otherwise the other guides, cause I'm the only female guide in that outfit. We have like female cooks and everything, but I feel like I get the grunt of a lot of it just because I'm a young female guiding big game in a man's industry. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because, like, I don't know. There's a lot of guys out there that, like, wouldn't be any more qualified. Like, I wouldn't be any more qualified. I lose my temper super easy when things don't work out in the elk woods. Like, that's not yeah. a good characteristic as a, for a guy when a you know, when somebody does something wrong and the the setup gets blown and, and you, like, just want to lash out, like, that's usually not right. the recipe for a successful review on Google. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I'd probably be a terrible guide. Um, but, yeah, it's just funny how people's, I don't know, ego gets in the way probably is what it really comes down to. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with you. Like it, their ego has nothing right. to do with all the work you've put in learning and being there. So. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people that go on guided hunts think that it's always guaranteed to kill an elk, which I mean, it's called hunting for a reason. I like to say my clients should come out with a really good attitude, want to have fun. And the more fun that you have, I mean, we're, we're going to have opportunities. We're going to see elk. If you don't get those conditions, then, I mean, it's hunting. Yeah. One well, archery hunting, too, for your early season stuff, like, that's hard no matter what. Like, you could do your job yeah. to a T and call in a bull to 20 yards, and there's still no shot. Like, you might right. be in black timber, and he can't. Like, we've had that many times. Yeah. We went to a hunt in Wyoming. There were seven of us. We had 30 – I can't remember if it was 33 or 39 – encounters under 60 yards just you know you're kind of guessing like you hear enough bugles in a week you can kind of start to be like well that one's really close like 40 50 60 yards you're like nah that one's over 100 we had 30 some of them under 60 and we had two shot opportunities yep yeah i had a bull at 20 i called the bull into 20 yards from one of my buddies he's like i can see it's and that's how we know because he's like i could see its antlers it's the only thing he could see i mean it was that thick and it's like what do you do like you did everything like it's hard to get them to even into 20 what do you need like imagine calling them into five yards for someone like it's a huge mountain like it's really tricky and i'm sure there's people out there that do it consistently but yeah it's it's tough no matter what it's fun though It, it makes for good memories i had uh actually a guy that i worked with he's from mexico he was just helping out and kind of learning how to guide because he worked his own consulting business um and he brought his dad out and he was videoing everything and uh, called this bull. And we were at the bottom, the very bottom and called this bull. And we're like, okay, he won't come in any closer. And so we sit down and start having lunch. And I just kind of stand up, stretch my legs. And I'm like, oh boy. And I looked at Lucas and I was like, no, 
put it away. That bull was 80 yards. And the only reason why he, he sounded like he was 300, because he was in thick timber next to water. So it was mm. holding that sound down. Yeah. So I threw out a cow call and he looked up, but we were on this bench and he knew there was no cow there. So, cause he couldn't see anything. So right. he was kind of nervous. Um, and his dad could shoot at 80 yards. It was just not a good shot. So that's, yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah. I've had to not shoot. I've not shot four bulls within 60 yards because of the shot. And it, like every time we go out west, I'm just thinking about every one of those shot opportunities. It's like I had two of them this year at 60. One was yeah. just full frontal. All I could see was its head, though. Like I couldn't even see the the cavity. And I'm not yeah. taking. A, I'm not the archer to take a 60 yard frontal shot. Yeah. And the other one was 58 in broadside, but there's a tree that went to like the liver. So I would have had like worse than a liver shot, which yeah. that's not a recipe for success either. So I just. Yeah. Like, what do you do? You know, if, if the tree's close, yeah, you can, like, lean. But it was, yeah. like, right next to the elks. I would have had to walk over, like, 20 yards to get a better angle, <laughs> and that's not going to work. So, yeah, gosh, that's tough. Like, it just – it stinks getting that close to something that's that hard and then not being able to seal the deal. Yeah. But it's hunting. It makes yeah. it fun. It is hunting. That is for sure. And so you do – you said archery, elk – do you do archery mule deer in the same camp or is that really not popular? No, we don't really do much any of archery mule deer. Yeah. We just do rifle. Okay. And then you um, do the rifle bear, rifle elk, rifle mule deer. Correct. On the rifle hunts, is that a lot more like using horses daily as a part of the hunting to cover more ground? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll use more horses during uh rifle season. The elk tend to move a lot further away from camp and there's we run into a little bit more people than we'd like to see back there but um so that's where the horses come in nice we can get further away from people and get to different spots where they couldn't in a day so yeah what's your favorite thing what's your favorite like hunt to guide uh archery elk archery elk just because they're vocal yep. and you can get close and adrenaline gets crazy yeah yeah well that's my favorite that's my favorite to hunt too but I am looking forward, like, there's something about having a rifle in your pack when the time yeah. comes. Like, archery's cool, but I would rather have a rifle when the time comes. And yeah. and it's just something about a rifle hunt. Maybe it's, like, the colder weather and the more of the, like, camp, you know, deer camp, elk camp, you yeah. know, I don't know, scene, vibrate, vibe, yeah. whatever it is. But it's just nice. And especially for mule deer. I'm kind of on a mule deer kick. I want to do more mule deer hunting. And... I don't know if my spot and stock skills coming from a tree stand in the Midwest are going to be <laughs> up to par for a, you know, archery mule deer hunt. So I'm, yeah. I'm thinking I've done three with a rifle, probably do another one or two with a rifle and then maybe switch to bow and trying to do some of that stuff too. Yeah. You do it enough. You get used to it. I came from the same kind of thing you're doing right now, sitting in a tree stand in Wisconsin and now I'm hiking mountains and spot and stock and elk and mule deer. So. Have you been since, so you said you started in 2019 and you've, so you've been with this outfit for set the whole time. Yes. Except for what was it? 2022 season. I went to Alaska and packed for a moose camp there. And then I came back this past season. So packed, like put moose on your backpack and walked them out. Uh, we used horses too, oh, but I was going to say. One. We did have one scenario. We had to pack the moose on foot to a certain spot to get the horses there. That was. That's got to be awful. Uh, 
they're they're huge. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> because big. Alaska also has laws about deboning meat, right? Like you have to bring the quarters out bone in. It's um, I, I think that I mean you can debone it, but you have to have every piece of meat, every neck meat. meat, everything. I knew that they like rib meat. You have to take the rib meat. You have to take all like the yeah. shanks and everything, the neck meat. Um, yeah. I don't think there's any laws on organs. I'm not sure. I've never hunted in Oregon. <laughs> no, like, like you don't have to take like the liver oh. or you don't have to take. Oh, like, oh the yeah, heart. yeah, yeah. I don't. But yeah, do you have to take the tenderloins? So. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that would if you can debone it, then it's just how much, how many trips you want to make. But I was thinking if you had to like carry a rear quarter of a big bull moose out bone in, like that's got to be on the other side of a hundred for sure. Oh, hundred percent. It's heavy and. Alaska's not dry by any means. Yeah, every I've heard people say the worst part is like every step you sink like four inches. Yep. And so yeah, yeah. I that, bet the quarter that I carried was at least one twenty to one fifty. The so you did you did a quarter bone in? Was it a yeah. front or a rear? I think I did a front and a rear. It was me and one other girl that was helping move the meat because the guide was bringing everything from one spot to us and then we'd take it to another spot because we didn't know where the where he had killed the bull and it was in a bunch of willows so he was doing the hard part oh geez yeah yeah i mean that does get heavy i mean it's heavy for me and i'm six two like i'm a bigger person i've the heaviest i've ever packed out was 146 not including the frame um I did an elk rear and an elk front at the same time. And then I got back to my house and I weighed them and the rears were 82 and the fronts were 64. And so, and that was a huge elk. I mean, it was a 350 inch bull, eight and a half years old. So when people talk about like hundred pound elk quarters, I'm like, "Eh, I've never seen one. Yeah, Maybe a big rosy, you know, like a Fognac Island Roosevelt elk might have a hundred pound quarters, but I've never seen a, like a, you know, the, (laughs) With all due respect, the raghorn you shot did not have a hundred pound quarters. <laughs> to whoever right. you know, to whoever says like, "Oh, is that a hundred pound quarters?" I'm like, oh, right. Good for you. Right. Happy for you. <laughs> I don't say anything, yeah. but it's they're not. The, I don't think the elk are as heavy as people like to give them credit for because it sounds cool when you say you did a hundred pound pack out. I think moose are probably right. the opposite. Like they're way heavier than you're hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you're hiking uphill with the elk quarter, it feels like a hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, I like to shoot mine above camp. And then yeah. bring them downhill. I've done that. Yeah. Both of my packouts have been the easiest packouts ever. Um, I've probably packed out six or seven elk. None of them were terrible. But the one year I didn't go because I was in college, my brother shot an elk like three miles in. And that was like an all-night packout on that one. Yeah. So it gets so it gets busy with the packout. But I'm guessing most of the time when you guys shoot elk, especially elk, but anything – with horses in camp, you try to line up for a horse extraction. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Most so, of the time we'll walk back to camp and get two horses. Otherwise some of us have radios that we can radio uh, the people in camp to saddle the horses and kind of meet us. We'll send them a Garmin oh, on in reach yeah. the point and they'll bring it to us. Um, but half the time that doesn't work. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose. So what does it look like? on your like when you're rifle hunting and you're using the horses more day in day out so i assume everything starts early because you want to get out there early 
But are you, as the outfitter or the guide, doing all of, like, the horse chores? Because I'm guessing you probably don't want clients saddling their own horses. No, we uh, all the the guides do all the the horse chores. We feed them, saddle them, water them. Their their pen is right in with water. Um, Yeah, so all of the guides, and if the cook is able to, they'll help out and do whatever. But we try not to have the clients do it unless if we know them personally and they work with horses it's just we only have so many mules and horses that are riders and packers and once they're sword they're sword for about a good two weeks okay so so, so yeah and you like there's a lot of ways to mess up putting a saddle on right like if you don't know what you're doing you'll probably mess it up yeah yep so your client just all of a sudden falls off because the saddle isn't set up right. right. I feel like that's right. a disaster. That's a big liability. I mean, yeah. So, do you ever have clients that have like horse crashes or? Unless my dad's just had like the world's unluckiest horse guided hunts in his life. Um, sorry, these dogs are going nuts. That's okay. Um, no, we've had some horse accidents, but because most clients don't listen or they think it's fun. One of my favorite things about Maverick Hunting Blinds is the ability to customize the blind for your needs. With the Booner Blind Series, you can customize your window orientation and get all vertical windows, all horizontal windows, or even half and half. You can even build your blind so all your vertical windows are on one side for those close-range archery shots, and all your horizontal windows are on the other side for your long-range rifle shots. And when it comes to customizing the look of your blind, they've got an entire line of accessories. They've got options to camouflage tint your windows and stencil kits to make your entire blind camo and bow holders and gun holders for the inside of their blind. They've got everything you need to make your blind perfect for you. Click the link below and head over to maverickhunting.com to get all the accessories you need to customize your Maverick blind. I need to scratch a horse on the butt with a stick. Why would that... (laughs) I don't know, but some people think it's a good idea to make them to go faster, and half the time it doesn't work out well. But um, usually they're pretty good at staying together. We have some racks with like the the pack saddle sliding, and then the horses freak out on switchbacks, and then we get into a little wreck. But um, a lot of the time it goes pretty well when everybody stays calm and just listens. But okay, my dad's had yeah. he. Uh... Didn't get bucked off, but one time they found a bull. I think they jumped a bull across the canyon, and they were trying to, like, basically race it to the head of the canyon and uh, cut it off so they could get a shot opportunity. And so the guide grabbed his lead rope and took off through the black timber. at like a. I, Dad said it was, like, all out. I'm guessing it probably wasn't all out if you asked the guide, but probably a fast gallop. Yeah. And he was, my dad was like, you know, trying to stay on and like get hit with the brush. And, um, I don't know what happened, but the, I think he said the mule, like there's a a down tree, like at an angle and the guide was mule went around one way and his mule went around the other way and the tree hit him in the chest. And like, he just went over backwards and landed on his feet. But the, you know, obviously at that point it was too late. The guy kept going and my brother like came up slowly with his mule because he couldn't ride that fast on his own through the black timber. So he's just walking his mule behind him. And, and so he had, 
fell off that mule. I think he fell off a different time, but then the most notable is they're trying to walk their mules down a mountain, and it was really steep. You know, that's why they're walking them. And yep. he was grabbing onto the lead rope, and he's, like, trying to go slow, and it, was, it went down. The guide went down and then to the left. So my dad was trying to walk down, and there's, like, one tree on the edge of, like, a little cliff, and then after, you know... Big enough, it would have been a bad day. And so he's looking at, like, how to do it, and his mule just, like, hit him from in the back with his nose, like, hurry up, and yeah. just launched him. And so he's, like, sliding down this, this like, little trail, and he's like, well, if I catch that tree, I should be safe. But that's my plan. And then all of a sudden, like, the rope got tight, and the mule just stood there the whole time and, you know, didn't move. So the lead rope caught him, and then he, you know, was able to, like, pull himself up the lead rope. And then yeah. the guide came up. He's like, yeah, that, that way's not going to work. <laughs> So, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, so he's just had pretty bad luck. And my brother has never liked horses, mules, anything that he has to ride. And yeah. so I think that's probably why we don't do it anymore, to be honest. My, my brother doesn't like horses or mules much himself either. <laughs> when he killed this bull out West, he was like, we took horses to go get the meat and everything. And we're like, okay, we'll hop on. He goes, no, Brooke, you can, you can lead my horse. I think I'll just walk. I'm like, okay. So I ended up leading out his horse. Okay. With weight, like with the elk on it? No, he, it was his riding horse oh, and sure. decided not to ride it. Yeah, I met a guy in Montana that used to outfit, I think in Colorado, and he says, I'll never get on a horse again. He's like, I've had the worst luck with horses. I don't know if they were buying like $200 horses and then using them as, and then he's like, as the guide, we always got the worst horses. You know, yep. the client gets the best horses. He's like, I've yeah. been bitten so many times by horses and like bucked off. Like, it's just, he's just like, I'm never getting on a horse again. Yeah. I will I'm not, not the do- greatest rider myself at first either. I'm better at it now. I've had fallen off of a few taller horses a time or two, but I mean, that's what you get for being a guide. <laughs> yeah. So when you fall off, like, is there anything like, is it like something crazy's going on or like just something, it was just more of a fluke than anything? Um, sorry. No, that's fine. Um, what was the question? So when you, as a guide, when you fall off, obviously you like, you are following the rules and you're not scratching your horse with a stick. So like, is it something crazy? Like you're trying to like run down an elk or did just more of a fluke than anything? It's more of a fluke. Most of the time. Um, okay. sometimes I'll be looking back at the string and my dog will come running by my horse and spook a little bit and I'll just kind of fall off my saddle. Otherwise, I, I mean, it's, really nothing on their fault it's just kind of balance wise if you're looking at something like on another horse and something just randomly happens oh really so it's usually just more embarrassing like you just hurt your feelings yeah Yeah. (laughs) when you're like looking at your client (laughs) then you fall off your horse and your client's like wow we got a great guide today folks Yeah. Yeah. and like like, at one time i had a water bottle fall out of my pocket and it was kind of a like they don't like some mules don't like crumbly stuff and everything, but I had a water bottle fall out on rocks and freaked her out and she took off running and that was through like a rock slide and there's a bunch of trees down. Whipped my hat off on a branch and kind of just stuff like that and just random things falling out of pockets will spook them and people will fall off. But yeah, no one ever gets like too banged up falling off a horse. Um, my first year we had one guy fall off a horse and he broke nine ribs and 
punctured a lung, but we got him out and he was fine. He actually, I had a client last year and he was the one that recommended recommended him to come after he got hurt. So, so he got hurt and then told his buddy, you should do it. Yeah. And his buddy's like, yeah, sounds like a great time. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's yeah, a good that's, recommendation. I mean, he must have right. skipped that part. Right. No, it's, it's pretty cool. So to have somebody get hurt on a, a mule and horse and then continue to recommend us to take his buddies on hunts is pretty re- rewarding, if you ask me. Yeah, that is. I mean, I've always wanted to do the, the full – and I would do it more of an experience, I think, especially the first time. Not necessarily to get, like, a trophy tag or a trophy animal, but – more so just, like, the experience of horseback riding up into the mountains to a wall tent, like a cook, cook tent, camp, whole nine yards, and just the experience of, like, getting on a horse every day and going off hunting, I think would be super fun. I've always it wanted is. to do it. And my father-in-law, like, he said that's one of his, like, ultimate bucket list hunts is an elk hunt on horseback with an outfitter. Yeah. No, it, it's a lot of fun. And it's really awesome to be able to see the amount of – work that the mules put in for you you really start to appreciate what they do for everybody that uses them um and just even like new horses and mules that we get because we'll buy and sell horses and we'll use some to train them and then sell them the next year they come a long ways and it's really rewarding to see the work that they put in and then become a really good mule or horse that part that's tough for me i feel like if i was an outfitter i would want no part of testing out this new mule while I'm also trying to like guide these clients it's like nope I want the mule I've had for five years and I trust him with my life (laughs) I don't want to be breaking mules while I'm trying to chase down some elk I I get it though I mean it's it's part of the business but I don't know I feel like I'd be like I'll bring my own meals I'm good thank you (laughs) I'm I'm the same way I usually leave it up to the people that work with mules forever and I'll leave it to them. Most of the time we don't bring them into camp. We'll just leave them. We'll take them in and out and they'll take like salt blocks or like four four, uh, bags of feed. So they realize that it's not hurting them. And if they buck, then it's going to hurt. But that's kind of how they learn is with pressure. But okay. So can you, when you ride a mule, like multiple days, I, I'm just kind of going off of horses, and it's all from what that one cowboy said. But he's like, he had four horses, and he was like, "Well, that one's lame at the moment, so I can't ride that one. This other one's kind of thin. I've been riding it a lot this summer. Like it, it's lost a lot of weight, like body weight. I don't really want to ride it too much more." And he was starting to kind of like get. He's like, "I'm thin on horse right now," and I'm like, yeah. "What does that mean? Like you have four of them?" And so he's like, "Well, they're all. It's the end of the year. I've been riding them all. One's hurt. Like." Does that happen for you guys too? Or you got to like constantly be like swapping out mules and getting fresh mules yep. in? Yeah, that, that happens quite often. That's why we're fortunate enough to have 70 plus mules. Um, either somebody will roll an ankle and get a, like a hot foot. So if it's hot, they got an injury in their ankle and we'll have to soak it in Epsom salt. We'll take them up to the sick pen is what we call it. Um, they'll get saddle sores. You can't put a a pad and a saddle on their back because otherwise it oozes and it's just it's just respect for the the animal that does the work for you really right um, yeah I mean you want to take care I mean it's just like having a dog like if like if my right. dog gets hurt I don't bring him out hunting just to find more antlers or find more birds exactly. it's like okay well he's dinged up he's got to heal right so. 
Okay. Yeah. It's, yep. And we'll, we'll swap out. Like if I, I have one mule that I really enjoy riding and if I'm riding 24 seven and I come out to bring new clients in, I'll leave him out for the week. Okay. So then so. do they get, does it take like a few weeks for them to recover and like get more energy or does that kind of done for the season and like once some, like how long does it take for a meal to kind of recover and regain that body fat and get back up to weight? Um, I would, depending on if they gain weight pretty easy, I'd say a week, but we don't normally use mules so much that we can't use them. We'll, mm. we have, we'll take a set of meals, like 12 meals one day and then everybody gets a break and then we'll take a different 12 meals the next day. And then we'll, we'll just keep swapping them out. Gotcha. Yeah, and I mean that's probably different. Like this cowboy, he was working. Like he he rides to the top of the mountain, across the mountain, back down. Like he's probably doing like solid riding. Versus like if you're hunting, like you're maybe not walking as fast or as far. You're taking breaks. You're getting off. You're doing some on foot. Like it's probably just a completely. And he's doing that day in day out with only four all summer long. Right. And there's not yeah. great feed because it's always. It seems like every year it's a drought. You know. So. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why he was struggling. But. Yeah, it was just a weird way to say he's like, yeah, I'm thin on horse. And I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> what do you mean? I don't get it. So, yeah. but it does seem like there's a lot that goes into it. Definitely. I just feel like it doesn't make sense for anyone that's like from the Midwest, does one Western hunt a year to like do horses, unless you love horses and you're good with them. Like, but then it's right. probably like finding someplace out there to rent them from. Like, I don't know if it makes right. sense to bring your own cross country. Right. I don't know. I, mean, I, I look at it in two different ways. Either horses are more work or they're not. Depends if you kill something. I mean, if you go into camp and you have horses, you get a ride in there. They get to carry all your stuff and then they get to bring your, your meat out and everything. Right. But then you got to pack in a vet kit. You got to pack in their food um cob for weight gain stuff like that it's it's a lot of everybody work. has their own preference yeah i enjoy them both yeah so. i think i would i enjoy them both i mean i liked riding horses i've ridden them a couple times i've always had a fun time but it's you know a very controlled trail riding environment with like nice paths to walk so it's different than hunting hunting you want to go where you know the animals are which is usually not where the trails right. are but I yeah. really want to shed hunt on a horse. That that to yeah. me would be like the ultimate because I'm as you can tell I'm a big shed hunter, and I think yeah, for some yeah. reason shed hunting on a horse just seems like the ultimate way to do it. That would be fun just to find a mountain glass and then ride the horse to go get it. Probably cover a lot more ground. Yeah, I'm thinking just yeah, great areas that you know there's going to be antlers. You just go out horseback riding and you find a few. You I don't know. They get a, some horses can get a little spooky around like having antlers on their back too though, right? So you got to make sure yeah. you got yep. maybe have like a bring two out like you have your horse and then if you find antlers you put them on a like a pack horse even though it's probably a light pack. It just seems like yeah. a great day. I don't know. Ride around yeah. on a horse and find elk antlers. Heck yeah. That'd be my dream. But I don't have horses and there's no elk in Minnesota, so well there's <laughs> like three bulls in Minnesota. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, that's the goal. I don't know. Yeah, the horse hunting, it's always been like a interest of mine. It's just, it's a lot easier to do DIY hunts on a budget. <laughs> so, yeah. and it's, it's yeah. obviously, it's no f review on like the guide industry. Like 
everything you talked about is why it's not cheap. Like you're paying for right. the horse and the feed and the time and the cook, like all the materials and things go right. like it's, it just adds up. Like imagine trying to do that on your own. It would like take right. your entire year salary to like get all that stuff. So. Yeah. Yep. But it is fun. I've learned a lot. I never thought I'd be doing this. I mean, I've wanted to do it since I was 14, but when I was a little girl, I never thought I'd be doing it. And my dad always told me, you'll be like your sisters and you won't hunt. You'll be done when you're a junior. And I'm like, whatever, dad. And now he's looking at me like you're the only one that ever carried it out into a career. So okay, it's pretty cool. Yeah, that does sound cool. So what does, now that you're a guide, what does like hunting for yourself look like? I don't get to hunt very much on my own, honestly. Um, when I come home after the season, I usually make it home for opening rifle weekend and I normally do some drives with my family. Um, I kind of, now I feel like I just don't want to shoot anything because my brother and my dad are putting all the work for it. And I just don't feel right coming home and killing all the bucks that they worked for. So I'd like to watch them do it. Yeah. There's some of that. Um, plus your guide. So like your job is to help other people. So maybe like, it's just easy for that to carry on into other parts of your life too. Do you get to, like, is there ever a couple days in between groups where you would get to, like, maybe go out for, like, a day or an evening hunting out west? I could, yeah. If we tagged out early, I could. Um, It's just I don't have my own tag. I don't necessarily look into getting a tag because I usually dedicate my entire archery and rifle fall to guiding people. Yeah. And it to me, it doesn't really make sense for me to spend whatever amount of money it is for non-residents to go and buy a tag if I am not guaranteed that time. Yeah, that would be a lot. I was picturing resident prices, like if it was like 30 bucks for you to just have one in your pocket. And then if you have like two days, you're like, well, I could go out, you know, maybe I'm only looking for a cow or, you know, a smaller bull or whatever you're looking for. It's like I could shoot it. I could get it out, I could get it back to town and in a cooler and be ready for the next crew to come in, you know, two days from now or three days from now. It could make sense. But, yeah, non-resident prices. Oof. Yeah. If, if I was a resident, I would totally consider it, but um, I, I'm not right now. I was thinking about it a while ago and just kind of never did it, I guess. Do you ever get tipped in, like, backstraps? Mm, normally when we kill an elk, they're like, we're eating backstrap tonight. and then... So you get to eat them. Yeah. yeah. So you get plenty of like fresh wild game. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. What is the cook? That's a good topic though. What is the cooking like in camp? Like what kind of meals are cooked? Like what do you have to work with? Are they doing everything in like a Dutch oven over a fire or is there? Um, it really depends on the cook that you have. So the cook that we had last year, she works on the river. She is, what people would call a hippie. I don't know what the correct term is for that, but she works on the river. So she cooks on Dutch ovens a lot. Um, We are able to pack in an actual oven with propane tanks. So we did that. Um, She made everything homemade. Like the bread was homemade, her muffin sourdough starter she had. So like cinnamon rolls she was making, Um, she would actually bring potatoes up there. Otherwise it's kind of like box stuff, like um, bagged potatoes and box salads kind of got to keep it light and easy for that week worth of hunting but a lot of the time we have fresh elk meat because the company that I work for they have an uh a meat shop also so we get all the meat so it's mainly elk that we eat and we'll have ribs we'll have tri-tip 
lasagna and then the last day is kind of whatever i think i don't really have the uh menu memorized just kind of scattered but well yeah by that time you're probably like just in the rut like doing chores and going to sleep trying to get as much sleep as you can yeah but yeah the meals that we get are definitely five star and it's hard to beat that's why the horse hunting is really nice too you get to carry whatever you want yeah that is that would be cool i mean that's the that's the one like the kicker that could make or break i think an outfitting hunt is like what kind of quick do you have in camp because my brother has done both they did a hunt in colorado and the cook was also the only person that was doing like chores for the horses and so like and they had like one big um i think it was like a skillet like she cooked everything in that one thing on the fire and so she'd like crack all the eggs put them in there and then go out do horse chores and then when she got back like the eggs were done but they're like burnt you know like oh no everything they had was terrible my brother threw in like a couple boxes of like cliff bars right before they left just like yeah road snacks or whatever and like that's what my dad and brother lived on for the week was like those oh no because the cooking was just awful but then they did another one with jake clark in wyoming i don't know if you know them Um, it sounds familiar but i'm not sure the way my brother explains it is he's like one of the premier like five-star outfitters in wyoming Gotcha. And so just, you know, different state, but he said like that cooking was phenomenal. Like my dad was like, would still talk about for hours, like the, what that lady could do with that old, it was like a wood fire, wood stove, like the old, like the ones they used to cook with in like the 1800s, like everything she cooked was with that. And she's like, the, what she could do with that thing was insane. Like the temperature control and the time and like, it was insane. Like it, it was the best food I've ever had. And it, she did it all with you know, pieces of pine. Right. So yeah, really makes or breaks a hunt. hundred percent. I think that's what makes the fun, the hunt fun too, is being able to come back to camp and realizing that not everybody can have this opportunity in camp and have steaks and tri-tip and ribs. And I'll tell you, we sure don't in our out camp, we have spaghetti (laughs) and mac and cheese and like things that are easy to bring across the country. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it's always the, fun thing when you have your little rocky talkie on there and you're calling the cook hey what's for dinner <laughs> when you're walking back so but does it fun. it's pretty like routine though like like the same couple of core meals will be in every group because i'm, I'm assuming it's like yeah. you ride in on sundays and ride out on saturdays or something like that yep yep okay so they're all the, every week is basically the same and just kind of mix it up. I mean, you could use pork and lasagna, or you could use elk, or you could yeah. you know switch it up. But but is she just so I would does she just like get a like a card from the boss or like a budget from the boss, and then she just goes out and gets the food she needs and gets a horse to bring it in for her and pretty much. I mean, so my boss and his wife will go do all the grocery shop shopping for the season for archery season and then yeah for each camp for That's each a week lot of grocery shopping yeah. and except for the produce obviously so yeah. then she'll go to the produce that she needs that each day week. or before we go in so okay and is it solid like clients from archery kickoff through the end of the season or is there like any breaks or like off weeks or we have one off week and it's the first week in october because i believe they close archery season or all elk season and then they open it up i believe the like 7th or 8th of october both 
units and then they go start back up so that that's our one week off and then not really a week off for us because we got to pack in our other camp okay so you are so from the start of season you're basically sleeping in a tent until the end of season yep so if even if like if camp because so if you're a resident of wisconsin like you obviously don't have a house in idaho so what happens when you do like when like you guys do take out early and everyone leaves like two three days early you... My boss has a a shed for all of his workers, and a it's shed? just like That's... yeah, it's <laughs> it is really a shed. It's where all of our it's kind of like, like a bunkhouse, though. Like a yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But I'm there. I used to be there like nine months out of the year, so I have a house there right now, and I'm subleasing it. Oh, um, I rent it. It's not my own personal house, so I mean, it was after working with people twenty four seven, being spraying and fishing boats and. Uh, and then back into elk season, the last thing I want to do is come home and talk to seven more people. I want to go home and be by myself with my dog. So, yeah, no, that seems like a lot. So that's why I was just curious because it, it seems like a busy fall being a guide, like just always early mornings, not really taking day, like your days off are getting ready for your next group and like right. chores every day. Like it seems like it'd be great for the clients. Like they show up, food's ready when they get back to camp, chores are done, go to yeah. bed or not. I don't know what, I mean, I would assume some clients probably want to stay up and have a bonfire and, you know, throw around a flask and other clients are like, I want as much sleep as possible because I'm here to kill a bull. Yeah. And I feel like most, most of the people that we work with uh, are willing to accommodate all the clients. Like we had a group of clients who are like, Oh, let's stay up all night. I'm like, okay, I'll stay up till like 11 and then I'm going to bed. But yeah. Yeah, and I suppose, like, I don't know, maybe you have a couple guides that are more of, like, the party animal and can just wake up with no sleep and they, like, stay up with them or not. Right. I suppose if your clients stay up all night and they don't want to hunt as early in the morning, it's you're like, well, it's your hunt. Yeah. I mean, you right. know what it, the consequences are. Like, we're not going to see much in the morning. Like, they're going to be bedded down by the time we get out there and we'll just kind of be going in blind, you know, for lack of a better term, at 10 a.m. Because right. we're not hearing bugles anymore or, right. you know, whatever the... They're like, yeah, that's what we want to do. You know, we're just here to hang out. So, all right, whatever. Yeah. Yep, that's normally how it goes. That sounds fun. So, off of guiding for the fall, um, obviously, it's winter now and the New Year's in three days. So, it's obviously all hunting seasons. They're basically coming to a close. Um, But I assume, are you doing the whole nine-month, like, summer fishing and then wrap that right into archery season? again next year or what's the next year look like for you um for right now that's kind of what my idea is i'm not really sure it's always it's always up in the air i'm a loose cannon yeah (laughs) but the um the i stopped doing spring bear hunts two two seasons ago so i'll go into the fishing in march and then that goes till august and then usually i take three months and do the fall hunts and then winter time i kind of work online or bartend waitress help my family on the farm kind of work for the companies that i work for in idaho if i'm there like i'll do preseason work on saddles and everything um but that's basically what it's been for me the last four years so awesome that kind of sounds like a fun probably seems stressful in the moment but like a yeah. fun way where you can just be like i don't know if i want to guide this year like maybe i'll do something else or maybe i will or maybe i'll you know do more farm work or you just, it seems like you, you have a lot of freedom Yeah, to choose it's what a, you want to do. Nice, 
change of pace. I like a change of pace. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the podcast, talking about, you know, life as a guide, hunting with horses, the whole nine yards. Uh, I really appreciate it and hope that you have a successful year next year, no matter what you decide to do. But before we wrap up, uh, give people a chance to follow along with your adventures. I know you have a pretty packed Instagram full of all kinds of crazy reels that are like very entertaining to watch. It looks like you're pretty familiar with wrestling fish that look to be about three times your size. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, I try and do a lot of that social media type stuff mainly because I get a lot of crap from clients and people that I work with as me being a young female guide and kind of wanting to push everybody else to get out there and go do what they actually want to do. Even if it, means being put down but nobody's opinion really matters but yours so well yeah it looks like i mean i was i watched that i'm like man if i want to catch a big sturgeon in a river i know who to call or you know if i want to like have a fun time on horseback i know who to call like it looks like everyone that gives you crap is just i don't know they should look in the mirror first i suppose would be the best way to put it but but yeah so yeah give people where can they find you um or if and if you want to do a quick shout out to any of the businesses you're working with, feel free to. Yeah, well, my Instagram is my first and last name Brooke without an E, and then Danier D O E N I E R underscore zero zero. Um, the company that we catch all the big fish is actually in Hell's Canyon, which is um, North America's biggest and deepest canyon. Um, that company is Kilgore Adventures. Um, give them a follow and check out all their reels call them up if you want to go on a jet boat ride um they also do tours and then the hunting outfit is hell's canyon outfitters so also in hell's canyon yep i've heard some wild stories about elk hunting in hell's canyon like i'm sure either one would be an epic adventure whether you're on the river or in the hills so yeah cool no it's it's awesome it's definitely a hard place to beat so Awesome. Well, we'll put the links to all those places in the show notes for anyone to check out. And once again, thank you for being here today, Brooke, and thank you for listening, folks.